Welcome, friends, to this brand new edition of A Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry with Pastor Brad Abley. We're delighted that you've joined us today, and we've already been praying for you, that you would meet the Lord in a fresh new way. We've also been praying that you would be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus by the power of His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, let's resume our Know Your Faith series as we go through the entire Gospel of Luke patiently, slowly, and verse by verse. Here's Pastor Brad. Well, very warm greetings to you, my friends. This is Pastor Brad Abley with the Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry, a ministry that is designed to take you deeper into the Word of God. And my prayer for you and for me is that God would stir within all of us a greater heart after God. Amen. I'm so glad that you're listening to this message. And if you are being blessed by it, please let others know about uh, the broadcast. And uh, if you're blessed by it, please let me know as well. That would be encouraging uh, for me. And uh, you can reach me at bradabley.com. Brad, B as in boy, R-A-D as in David, Abley, A, B as in boy, L-E-Y.com. It would be nice to hear from some of you that uh, have been listening to this broadcast. Now, my friends, all day, every day, throughout the world, people walk past others who have needs, and they walk past them with little or no concern whatsoever. But listen, this cannot be the practice of the believer in Jesus Christ, as we're going to see today in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, and the message is simply titled, An Example for All Followers of Jesus. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, An Example for All Followers of Jesus. Before we get there, you see, I I need to mention that we must do good to people while we have the chance. That's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6. Let me read it. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Galatians 6 verse 10. Paul says, so then, while we have opportunity, and that refers to a, a certain quality of time, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good, present tense, ongoing basis. You see, my friends, we must have our Lord's heart to serve people, to bless people, to encourage them, to pray with them, to pray for them, and especially to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, which has the power to deliver them from their sin and to give them eternal life. But listen, to live in selfishness is inexcusable for a believer, and selfishness is sinfulness. Listen again to Paul's admonition to the church at Philippi, where there was 
there was growing strife and disunity. And so he says to them, he says, do nothing. This is a command. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. And again, Paul's words to the church in Rome. Before we get to Luke chapter uh, 13, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to look, I'm going to read verses 10 and 11 and 15 and 16. Romans chapter 12. And verse 10, Paul says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. But how do you serve the Lord? Well, the context is by being devoted to one another in brotherly love, by giving preference to one another in honor, by not lagging behind in diligence, by being fervent in spirit. That, those are what? Four things in how we can serve the Lord, if I counted right. And then verses 15 and 16. Look at this, beloved. Rejoice with those who rejoice. See, if they're rejoicing, we rejoice and weep with those who weep. That means we can get down where someone is suffering. Be, verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, arrogant, pompous, but associate with the lowly. And we're going to see Jesus doing that in just a moment. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So there, I could go on. But by now we have seen that the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, and the Sadducees were the religious leaders of Israel in Jesus' day. And most of them had very little or even no heart for people like Paul that was just talking about, especially the lowly, they were much more concerned. In fact, they were entire, entirely concerned about their own importance, their own riches, their own fame than anyone else who was not part of their group, part of their class. Now, they should have been the true shepherds of Israel. But God called them false shepherds. And as a result, Jesus said the common people of Israel were like sheep without a shepherd. And especially in that society, that was an unthinkable thing for anyone. Why? Well, a flock, without, a flock of sheep without a shepherd would soon be devoured by bears or wolves or lions. Why? Because sheep are helpless. They need constant care, constant feeding, constant protection. So it's no surprise that the Bible likens people to sheep. 
We need the care and the concern and the encouragement and the fellowship of others, whether we admit it or not. And this is all very important background for today's message, again, simply entitled, An Example for All of Jesus' Followers. And again, it's from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Before I go any further, would you join me in prayer? Father, be glorified in this message. Be exalted. Use it for the upbuilding and the rooting and grounding of your church, the encouragement of people, the strength of your church, and the evangelization of the unsaved. And now, Holy Spirit, you are the master teacher. Come and lead us and guide us in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now, I've given this title, an example for all of Jesus' followers. Why? Because I know how easy it is for any Christian, and especially Christian leaders, to walk past people with needs. Now, this happens for a variety of reasons. We lose genuine love for others. We become too busy. We look at numbers rather than individuals. And in a case like the the sad predicament that this woman had to endure that we're going to read about in just a moment. One might easily buy into the lie that she's always been this way or others have prayed for her and she didn't get well. But listen, my friends, faith looks at our mighty Savior and not at circumstances. Let's read about her right now in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Luke 13, verse 11. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit that is a demonic spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. By the way, the word woman is a title, a term of respect. Now, if you'd been bent over double for 18 years and bang, just like that, you're healed. Don't you think you'd be praising God and everyone else as well? And yet, in verse 14, but the synagogue official indignant, that is in a rage, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. Can you believe that? But the Lord answered him, verse 15, and said, you hypocrites. 
Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water? And this woman, verse 16, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, verse 17, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. And what Luke may be implying there is that this wasn't the only thing that Jesus did during this time. We don't know. Now, our Lord Jesus, for those who are humble, is the great dignifier. He is the greatest dignifier there is. Jesus replaces sin and shame with dignity for those who receive him as their Lord and Savior. And so he dignified this poor woman. And suffering as she did for 18 years, she may have just blended into the crowd. She would have had great trouble looking up at people, so it would have been enough simply to ignore her and move on. And I'm sure she was used to that. I'm sure very few people had anything to do with her. And if that were the case, imagine the sight of Jesus looking into her eyes and she looking back at him with tears of unspeakable joy, gratitude, and relief, all culminating in her giving God glory and the people being shocked at her sudden healing, wondering and marveling at who it was that did this. And so, my friends, in Jesus, we have yet another example of how to treat others, how to be ready for God to do anything at any time according to his will and his power. May he enable us to live in faith and expectancy. One commentator on the Gospel of Luke, Alfred Plummer, gives us an appreciated point in introducing this narrative from Luke he writes, the details are obvious tokens of historical truth. Warren Wearsby marvels at the faith of this woman who, despite 18 years of suffering, was still evidently not bitter toward God for it, and presumably was faithful in synagogue attendance. She was there, even though she lived in shame. And Wearsby even honestly wonders whether he would be faithful to attend every week if he were in her predicament. And I think such benefit, such honesty benefits us all. 
but it also challenges us in our own sufferings, doesn't it? Why? We may tend towards self-pity in our suffering until we gain the perspective that others may have it worse than we do, and we find them praising God no matter what. Have you ever been around someone like that? I have, and it's both inspiring and stirring and convicting. Think about the Apostle Paul who set an extraordinary example in praising God and being joyful despite often being imprisoned seven times. And on one occasion, he and Silas famously praised God in a dark, damp prison cell after having been severely beaten with rods simply because they preached the gospel. Think of Joseph in Genesis, who spent years in prison, yet he never became bitter towards God. In fact, his faith grew in that prison so that when he was released, this Jewish man was ready to become the prime minister of Egypt. You see, beloved, our suffering can make us bitter or it can make us better like the men that I just mentioned, and there's so many others, Job included. And through God's word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can work together with him for our growth and suffering, or we can resent him for the suffering and work against him, and then he can leave us to ourselves. Commenting on Psalm 63, verse 1, which David wrote in the Judean wilderness, hiding from his own son, Absalom, who was trying to kill him. Wiersbe observes that in David calling God, my God, he says this, to be able to say my God by faith, listen, transformed David's wilderness experience into a worship experience. That was David's choice. Psalm 63 and verse 1, O God, you are my God. I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Boy, does that perfectly described this fallen world system. David turned his wilderness experience into a worship experience because of the way that he responded to God in a, in a situation where his life was hanging in the balance. Leon Morris helpfully points out that Jesus took the initiative in healing this, this greatly suffering woman. Again, I want to emphasize who likely lived in shame and embarrassment due to her condition. Did you notice that the woman didn't even ask him to heal her? And nor, nor did anyone else, like the man that was paralyzed on the pallet and his friends brought him into the house and set him before Jesus. So there was no prior faith in operation here either by the woman or anyone else. It was simply the merciful intervention of God the Son 
and the Son of Man. By the way, on a different note, not every sickness or illness is caused by a demonic spirit. And that's important to keep in mind. For example, in Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. There were people that simply needed physical healing, and there were people that needed deliverance from demonic powers. But that teaches us, and many other places in Scripture, teach us that not every sickness is caused by a demon. But it takes the discerning of spirits, 1 Corinthians 12.10, or the distinguishing of spirits, to know when a sickness or affliction is demonic in nature or not. We need to be extremely cautious here and careful never to ascribe an illness to the devil and then not cure the person. That can cause major spiritual harm to that person. And I'm telling you this because this has happened to people throughout the centuries. But Jesus demonstrated the distinguishing, the discerning of spirits here. A great example for us in dealing with demonic activity and a summons to us to be walking in the spirit so that he can reveal such things like this for the freedom of others. You just never know when you might walk into a situation where someone is possessed by a demon or oppressed by a demon. Now here, this woman wasn't possessed, but she was oppressed and afflicted. Jesus didn't rebuke any demons. He didn't even command them to leave her. He simply laid his hand upon her, declared her healed and free, and that was that. You know, there's another thought. What Jesus did for this woman took a few minutes at the most. That wasn't work. He wasn't working to try to get money. That was simply the goodness and the grace of God in action. Listen, by the way, the Old Testament nowhere teaches that someone can't be healed on the Sabbath or that someone can't lay hands on the sick for their healing. These Pathetic religious leaders brought in man-made regulations to the Sabbath and turned what was, what was designed by God for simply for rest into a pathetic joke. Now, we also need to say an important word here about physical he healing. As we observe that Jesus healed a woman who had been in this terrible condition for 18 years. In fact, Luke, the physician, actually uses a Greek word for her condition, which means curvature of the spine. 
Isn't that interesting? Luke, the physician, there's a good example of the divine authorship, the inspiration of scripture by God, but also the human authorship as well. My friends, I firmly believe in God's power to heal, and I pray regularly for people to be healed. That said, there are many Christians who dogmatically teach that it's always God's will to heal without exception. Bill Johnson is one of those. But that is not the teaching of Scripture. In this case, there were no doubt others besides the woman that Jesus healed who were sick. Luke doesn't tell us about any of them. Most of the people in Israel were poor and didn't have money for a physician, so their need for physical healing was significant and ongoing. Like the man at the pool of Siloam that Jesus healed, there were many other people beside that pool that were not healed. The Apostle Paul, who moved in miraculous healing power and who taught on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, left Trophimus sick at Miletus, 2 Timothy 4.20. And he told Timothy to drink a little wine for his frequent ailments and stomach problems. Elisha moved in unusual healing and, and other miraculous power, and yet the Bible says he died of an illness. God didn't heal him, though he certainly could have. And so to argue confidently and even arrogantly that it's always God's will to heal is unbiblical and furthermore dangerous to the faith of others who, when they are not healed, can easily go away dejected or even feel abandoned by God, and the, and the fault should be on the person praying for healing. If you think that everybody should be healed, and you lay hands on someone and they're not healed, maybe you ought to blame yourself instead of blaming the other. Well, now, we must pray in faith for the physical healing of others, but we also must leave the results of our praying to God. Wow. Speaking of prayer, I want to pray now for physical healing for people in this listening audience. So whatever it is that you have a need for, I want you to lift your hands and trust God to heal that very thing by the power of Jesus Christ. Let me pray now. Lord Jesus, Thank you that you are healing bodies all over the world. You are the risen Lord Jesus. You heal bodies throughout the Gospels. It's clear. You healed people in the book of Acts. It's clear. But you also said that we are to pray for the sick and that you would confirm the word preached by signs and wonders and miracles. And so now, Lord Jesus, Release your healing power to people all over this audience. Heal the blind, heal the deaf, heal and raise up those who can't walk. Heal those who are tormented by demons, deliver them. Uh, heal those that have migraine headaches. In fact, Lord Jesus, let many who have curvature of the spine Raise up and walk in health. Heal feet that are deformed. 
heal gum disease, perform miracles of dental work for people. Open uh, for those that that are not blind but they can't see very well. Open their eyes and give them perfect vision, Lord Jesus. Raise the dead and do far beyond all that we can ask or imagine according to your power that mightily works within us. And Lord, we give you the glory and the honor. We are simply your servants to do only what you call us to do. And we don't want to touch your glory. But we do want to rejoice in the privilege of partnering together with you for your namesake. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen. Thank you, Pastor Brad, for this outstanding message and time of ministry. Friends, Pastor Brad and his wife Maureen need a prayer team. Would you kindly consider praying for them on a daily basis? Thank you for your partnership. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please tell others about it. If you would like to partner with him financially, please go to his website at bradably.com. You can also check out his two devotionals and his commentaries on amazon.com. Until next time, we pray that our Lord stir you daily to have a greater heart after him in every way.